there, and welcome to another edition of the 1% Better Podcast with your host, Rob O'Donoghue. Hello there, and welcome to 2019 and the 1% Better Podcast. It's 2019 as I record this intro, so I think it's only right and fitting that I welcome you into this new calendar year. I hope you've got over the holiday season in one piece. I hope it went well. I hope you've got time to relax maybe enjoy some podcasts take it easy indulge set yourself up for success in 2019 whatever that looks like if you've set some goals and called out some new year's resolutions that you'd like to follow i hope you're still on track if you're not that's okay too there's a long way to go in the year get back on the horse start again and do them for the right reasons make sure they're ones you're passionate about um, you have an emotional connection with and you enjoy them i believe that's very important when you're setting goals uh, that there's an emotive element as well as the structural logical rational piece anyway enough about that i have released some podcasts over the holiday season and it would be great if you wanted to check those out as well talking about books a solo show around books i read in 2018 that have had an impact on me that made me improve get better that's been going down quite well wasn't sure how to structure it but it seems to be well received so check it out i think it's episode 89 i've also put out an episode around the unexpected benefits of podcasting i put an article together about that a while back that's out and the audio from this is coming from the podcast day international podcast day presentation i did so maybe you want to check it out the key connection to goals is very important so many good things come out of following the path to whatever goal you're chasing not just the outcome at the end or the result but so many really interesting learnings come along the way so that's the the essence of that podcast maybe have a listen to it you could get something out of it and then one around core values it is an approach i've sort of put together through trial and error through personal experience how to identify what your core values are and how to use them when making decisions when making tough challenging decisions they can be of great value to you and help you guide yourself into the right direction so i've shared a couple of those over the holiday season they are solo efforts stuff that i've had recorded for a while stuff that i really wanted to get out there and again hopefully you can take something from them apply it into your own approaches methods and help you improve and get better so that's been a wrap-up of the last couple of weeks for me and as i release this episode i'm getting quite close to wrapping up season two of the podcast thankfully i don't have anyone telling me when to cut season two and start season three uh, as a solo independent podcaster i kind of set my own schedule but i have a couple of episodes i do want to wrap the season up with i'm already recording some shows for season three and they are coming out really good some really exciting guests lined up for that i've been putting together a wish list a guest wish list for the season three and probably getting ahead of myself getting uh setting the bar high and going after some names that i would love to talk with um so we'll see what comes out of that but i have a number lined up already and i will probably end season two take a few weeks off and then start season three in 2018 i took a couple of months off but i don't think i'll take that long this time around because i really just want to keep the momentum going keep sharing these conversations and i have some ideas of how to tweak how i release podcasts going forward i learned a lot through doing the other podcast dx4 so i might streamline the process going forward it'll be easier for me to get more out um, but more to come on that okay that's enough of that so this interview is one i recorded probably early november and my guest is bernardo cabria i'm trying to get that right uh, during the episode i've made a good attempt of it but bernardo will pronounce his surname way better than i ever can so bernardo is an actor he's a writer he is a well he was a podcaster he writes plays he has many strings to his bow he's starred in shows in the u.s like the good wife the sitting man he's been in movies he was in blue bloods we had a very interesting conversation this is kind of a fun listen but there's lots of insights you can really get a good sense of the type of person bernardo is we recorded it funnily enough as bernardo was driving 
to an audition. It's the first time I ever interviewed anyone while they were on the go. We talked about the audition that Bernardo was driving to, how he prepared for that. But we also talked about acting. We also talked about Hollywood and how life is really over there and how Bernardo buys into it or doesn't. As you'll hear, some of the key takeaways touch on human rights, subconscious, the value of feedback, trust, authenticity, resilience. They're kind of keywords that probably sum up Bernardo and sum up his approach to life. I hope you enjoy it and we are kicking off 2019 with a fun one. Take care and enjoy the show with Bernardo Chabria. I'm always always talking about firsts for the show uh, at the start when there is a first in, in, in actual fact. And in this one, I am um, pretty confident to say I haven't interviewed uh, somebody before as they were driving um and uh, <laughs> and and while i'm recording on video as well uh for folks that might want to watch it you can see my guest is uh bernardo cubria is it cubria is the right pronunciation cubria that's that's very good my mom says cubria if you want to get very mexican about it but but okay. you did a good job i did okay 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 so brilliant yeah, so yeah, yeah, yeah. uh <laughs> So Bernardo, maybe for the folks listening and for maybe the, those watching, t- tell us a bit about yourself and actually tell us right now what's happening in your life or what you're doing. So this is very annoying and very actory, and I understand if, if people don't want to listen to me after this, but I was sitting at home getting ready to do this interview, and then I got a call from my agent that there was a last-minute audition uh, for the role of police officer, <laughs> and so I had to jump in my car. And now I am now driving, and I will read you the line. The line is, give us a call if you find anything. Okay. That's it, ladies and gentlemen. That's the so line. I am now driving. That's the line. And I am now driving to go say that line along with probably 50 other people. Okay. And, and, and then me. hopefully they decide that I say that line the best. Well, you've done a pretty good rehearsal of it there, I think. Um, do you have more context for the actual? Oh, thank you. Thank you. Do you have more context for the uh, the part of of the movie that it's in, or no? You don't know. Is it uh, in a kind of a heated environment, or no? I know that I'm I'm in someone's living room and they have their arms folded, and okay. I say, "Give us a call if you if you hear anything." So I imagine I'm there getting a report. Okay, but that's it. That's that's my inspiration. <laughs> mm, very cool. So. So this is the kind of thing that when you become an actor, nobody warns you that your life will become a lot of moments like this. So and and you're you're driving to that location now. Have you kind of a, a time? So you do you have fifty minutes to get there? Is there kind of a are you under severe pressure to to is this commonplace? No, no, I, it it is commonplace that that happens. But I actually I can get there in two hours. Uh, but what I am now doing is I need to go buy a razor and shave my face so after you and i finish i will get a razor at a store probably pop into a starbucks shave my face in the starbucks (laughs) and then uh and then and then do you know semi comb my hair and go inside and say the line all right it doesn't sound like you're getting too there you go you don't get nervous before these things so it's you get so used to it i guess uh it's, it's it's just kind of like another activity you take on during the day well, if it was a larger role, I would be very nervous because then I would have to learn all those lines and prepare and actually kind of create a human being, right? Right. <laughs> but with this, I, there is no nerve because I'm just going to go say this one line and I understand the lottery of it, which is they're just going to be like, oh, that guy's too tall or that guy, you know, I will, if I book this, it will have nothing to do with talent or skill. <laughs> <laughs> Is it a, what's the movie? Do you know? Is it a, a big a big movie? Is it a? It's a new TV show. Oh, okay. Uh, I swear, I swear, traffic is stopped. This is terrible that I'm doing this right now. It's a new television show. Uh, it is called "Are You Sleeping?" Hmm. Uh, I'm probably not allowed to share that, but I mean, th- what am I spoiling really by sharing that line? But uh, the show is called "Are You Sleeping?" Uh, I, I I don't think it's been uh, on yet, so we'll see. Okay, very good. Oh, but yeah, well, yes, be- sir. best of luck with with that. A uh, good way to start the show Thank to you. kind of to give us a uh, you know the, the real time uh, update of what's going on in your world. Um, okay. So, 
So the typical flow of the show, is, as you, you probably know, is, is we kind of uh, look for areas in the guests' careers and lives that uh, they've been challenged, I suppose, and, and areas that they've come out the other side and how they've done that and how they've actually uh, improved, how they've got a, a little bit better, right? So when we when we chatted last week and kind of just had our offline conversation, I was interested to hear that you know where you're at now in this kind of world of acting was certainly not on your radar in the early days so so maybe talk to me a bit about you know who you were growing up what was what was that like and what you were ambitious about at that stage well you know i I grew up in a mexican home in the united states and uh, i only bring up the mexican part because you know mexico doing theater is not something that people consider like it wasn't ever even a thought in my head that that would be a part of my life because i didn't think that anybody did that for a living because it's not a real job. I thought it was like a hobby that somebody had. So I always loved theater, and I was always writing little plays, and I was the cousin that made all the cousins get together and put on a show about the family at Christmas. But I, when I was in high school, I thought I would end up in politics. Or, honestly, my first dream was to be a soccer goalie, uh, football, I think, uh, for you. And yeah. I, I, was, uh, I was obsessed with soccer, so that was my first dream. Hmm. And soccer would have been like I think Ireland played Mexico in the World Cup in '94. If you remember yes. that, yes, I yeah. totally remember that game. <laughs> you guys bet Bonner us. was your goalie. He was, right? he was, and your your keeper was yeah. a flamboyant kind of uh, guy as well, wasn't he? Yeah. A very colourful jersey. Yeah. yeah. So that guy was my hero growing up. So so that's who I wanted to be was Jorge Campos, that guy, Campos. that that colourful right, right, right. jersey. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Very so funny. very funny, yeah. and uh, so soccer was a big thing, or football. Obviously, Mexico have a big pedigree in in the sport. Um, how far did you go with that? Was it just just a pipe dream? Did you were you pretty good? I was good for where I was, which was like you know uh, schools in Texas and the U.S. I played a little bit for the Texas Olympic team. That was like the furthest I ever got. But the truth is, I not I wasn't that good. But you know, when you're fourteen you believe that you are that good. Mm. <laughs> and I, I I did have aspirations for that. Okay. Oh, sorry, there's an ambulance driving by. Sorry about that. All right, no worries. As long as you're okay, that's the main thing. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so sport was a big deal, but, but politics. So, so where, where did the interest in politics come from? My family was always... I, I have really wonderful memories of sitting around the dinner table. I have two brothers and my mother and father. And I have really nice memories of us. We always talked about what was going on in the world. And I really appreciated that. For my dad, that was important, I think, that we care. And my dad cares a lot. He cares a great deal about politics. And so it was just something I was always thinking about. Uh, Also, like Christmases in Mexico, I remember there would be like 20 people around the table arguing about the next presidential election in Mexico or, you know, or... In Mexico, we talk a lot about American politics, so I, it was just always something I, I had an interest in. But not something, I guess, was, did you kind of start running for, in, in high school, I suppose, there's kind of elections and things like that to kind of dip your toe in the water. Any, any of that sort of activity happen? No, what I got into was activism. Uh, it was really, I, I worked for Amnesty International, actually. So when I graduated high school, I moved back down to Mexico from Texas, from the United States, and I... Uh, and I worked for Amnesty International for a year, and that was really great, but uh, really disheartening, because uh, for me, working in the nonprofit world was really hard because it's so much work. It's actually funny that I ended up in acting because it's very similar. It's so much work. It's you have to put in so much of your time and effort. It feels very important, and it can be very. Uh, you can run up against disillusion a lot because, so you know, I cared very much about human rights and as much as I tried to make my fellow students in Mexico care about human rights it didn't seem to matter to them (laughs) you know and that was really difficult for me uh at 17 and and so I think I quit because of that I, I I just had such a hard time with how little how apathetic everybody seemed to be about this thing that I cared so much about um which is funny that I ended up in theater because it's the same thing. <laughs> we definitely can get to that, but but as a seventeen-year-old, that it is a probably you would be on the the minority massively that would try and pursue a 
kind of a follow a career in in in, in giving back and and you know in that that world but, but the, was there a decision point made of, as to say this is what i want to do coming out of college or what what brought you to it well uh, so i had a friend of mine in high school who i really looked up to and i thought was kind of a very cool guy uh and he like I, he was the first person i ever saw wear a che guevara shirt you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I didn't know who Che Guevara was, but I was, you know, he told me about him and I was like, whoa, that sounds like a really cool, radical person, you know. Uh, and then he gave me this giant biography of Che Guevara that was like this thick for those watching. And I read it cover to cover and it really kind of, I think, was a, a changing point in my life because I thought, well, that's what I wanted to I want to be Mexico's Che Guevara, if you will. Uh, and what I love about being young is that I actually believe that. I really, really strongly believe that that was something I could be and that I would be. Um, and so that's that's what made me go to Mexico. Wow. Interesting. And to, to have that, was that, that vision or that uh, self-belief that you could actually do it? I, I know when, when we're young, some people are very much like that. Others might be a bit more introverted maybe and... And uh, yeah. self doubt would would be kind of high on the on the radar, but doesn't sound like that was the case for for you. But um, no. so was creativity part of what, what was forming in you as well? Obviously, if you get into the acting world, there must be something underneath that that was coming up. Well, so my grandmother was a poet in Mexico, and I think that's where all my craziness comes from is her. Uh, and I, I since I was in the fifth grade wrote like poems hmm. uh and in high school i wrote a lot of rhyming poetry that when i go back home and i open those notebooks makes me laugh because it's all like you know my heart broken apart you know <laughs> things like that okay. very very deep profound stuff right but i i have always loved writing it was it's always been a part of my life okay and so so talk to me a little bit after the the year of, of amnesty and did that knock your confidence, knock your belief system? Did you say Big right? time, yeah. Yeah? Yeah. I, so what happened was, I'll never forget it. Uh, I was sitting in my bedroom in Texas, and my mom, and I had my bags packed to go back to Mexico because I was going for my second year of university there. And my mom called me basically saying, you know, we're leaving, we got to get in the car. And uh, I... I couldn't move. I was, I literally could not stand up from my bed. And I remember my mom walking into the room and she just hugged me and she knew that I didn't want to go back. And it was such a, I mean, it's interesting that you say about having that confidence that I grew up, I'm very lucky and I grew up with parents who gave me the belief that I could do anything, right? So that was one of the first times in my life uh, where I came up against something very difficult, you know, and where I wasn't, <laughs> I mean, it sounds very privileged and I was, I, I don't pretend that I wasn't. And so I, I was paralyzed, I think in defeat and in, uh, self doubt and in fear, you know, it just, I just couldn't go back. I wasn't ready to, I didn't want to be in that space anymore. Um, and, and I felt so sad, you know, about uh, putting in so much time and wanting to help people and people not caring. And, uh, and it was, you know, I mean, now I wish I could talk to the 17-year-old me and, you know, give advice. But at that moment, I just, I'll never forget that moment just sitting there. Mm. And it, so, it sounds almost like, you know, looking back, it's like some sort of almost a, a meltdown or a breakdown to, 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 to a certain extent, because if yeah. uh, if it's what I'm detecting from you as a, as a person and, you know, very happy-go-lucky, I would imagine, and positive, but it's almost the first time you had to hit these negative emotions, and I suppose it just sounds profound in, in a way that, that it, it paralyzed you. When I go to the bad side, mm. it can be really, really overwhelming, you know? Mm. And and it's funny, I, I always laugh that I became an actor because so much of now my profession is being told no and, you know, uh, getting very close and almost. And so it, it's funny. Uh, but that was my first sort of brush with that. 
right it's interesting yeah like i talked to another guy on the the podcast a, a while back and we were talking about failure and um I suppose getting used to to losing or, or to failure. He played golf a lot. He was a professional golfer at one stage. And he said yeah. it, it's a game where you fail nearly all the time because so rarely anyone wins consecutive tournaments, like unless you're Tiger Woods or, or whatever. His, 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 yeah. And that, he said that helped him prepare to be becoming and working in, in business and in leadership that, you know, you make mistakes, you fail regularly, you get on with it. So it's just kind of an interesting parallel, as you said, with with acting. If you're going to this audition now and there's 50 guys there with you, you know, one of them's going to get it. So you probably, your percentages of of uh, getting a, the, the gig is, is probably quite low, but you get comfortable with that in a weird way. Yeah. Well, and it's funny because you get used to it, you get comfortable, but last night I was talking to a friend of mine and we were she and I were saying how even though you start to think that you're okay with the constant rejection and you do get better at it. I, I now, when I leave an audition, I, I don't expect to book it. Uh, that doesn't mean I don't book things. I do and I work, but I don't leave with hope because I just, I, that's, uh, you, it's not useful for me. But I think that yourself for years and years that you may not even be aware of. Like, I, I do think that being in a profession like this where you're constantly failing, it wears on you, whether or not you realize it or not. Mm. Interesting. But, so the audition, like, to just as an example, today you said you're going to go in and out, it's a line, so it's not really about talent, it's just about other maybe criteria. But, but when you know you're going for a bigger audition and you put more effort into it, and you come out of that thinking, I, I nailed that one. Do, do you kind of know when you come out of them how well you've done? Or, or, or do, you, do you kind of, again, just say, look, I think I gave it my best shot. I have no idea if that's good enough here. Well, the crazy thing is sometimes you'll leave an audition and think, well, that's, you know, I'll see them on set. That was the best audition I've ever given. And you don't hear a thing. <laughs> and then sometimes you leave an audition and you think it went terribly and then they call you and they say you've booked it yeah so it's hard i i again have because of years and years of doing this i now don't trust myself but Mm. yes you have it's uh, my my brother and i joke we're big soccer fans as Mm. i've mentioned and my brother and i always say it's the hope that gets you right like in this world cup mexico started the world cup by beating germany and so all of the sudden before the world cup i had no hope i thought mexico can't win the world cup and then when we beat Germany, so now I have hope, <laughs> you know, and now I believe that we can win. And then we lose to Sweden of all countries. And then I'm just crushed because I had the hope. Whereas before the World Cup, I wouldn't have thought we would have lost to Sweden. <laughs> so sometimes you leave an audition thinking, oh, I just nailed that. It gives you hope. And so it's much more painful when you don't book it. Mm. Um, <laughs> so yeah. I try, I try to not give myself that hope, but. I am human, you know. Yeah, well, as as somebody from Ireland, our uh, our levels of hope are quite low in the football world at the moment, anyway. So we don't get we don't even get the hope at at this point in yeah. time. Um, very very good. So so talk to me about you know moving more than a- after that paralyzing event, the next stage of your I suppose journey. When did when did the whole acting thing start becoming uh, an option? Well, so I I moved back. So I stayed in Houston, and my parents said, look, you have to go to university here. Uh, we can't, like, you're not going to take a semester off. Uh, because they, I think, feared correctly that if I took a semester off, I would probably never go to college. Uh, and so they said, just go to the local public university and sign up for two or three classes. We don't even care. Just any classes. Just so that you're going to a school. And so I went, and I signed up for a philosophy class a history class, and an acting class. And, you know, in my head, I was just kind of choosing randomly. But now that I look back, I think my subconscious was at play. Uh, I'd done theater in high school, and I really loved it. And it's funny, I was actually speaking in therapy about this. Uh, when I was in Mexico, there was a theater near the, uh, the uh, university, but it was out of the way of my walk home. But I would always 
take the longer route home to walk past the theater. But I never walked into that theater. It's so crazy. But now I looking back, I'm like, oh, I always wanted to do this. I just, I think I was scared to even think it out loud. But as soon as I took that acting class at the University of Houston with a woman named Carolyn Boone, who I'm going to mention because I love her so much because she changed my life. After that first class, I, I knew what I wanted to do with my life. I just knew it. I was like, oh, this is, I, this is my favorite thing in the world, this theater, and this is what I want to do. And was it just the feeling of, of being fully alive when you were doing it, or, or what, what was the actual kind of the crux of it? It felt like home, you know? Mm. Like, I'm sure you feel this way when you're doing the podcast, right? Like, there's this feeling that some things give you where it just feels, it's not that it's easy, because it's not easy, but it feels comfortable. It feels like I should be doing this, mm. you know? Mm-hmm. It just like, I understood that room. I understood that woman. I understood that there was something we were striving for that felt important to us in that room, and I liked that, you know? Mm. Um, I, and still to this day, my favorite part of my career is being in a black room, in a black box, and trying to figure out how to tell a story. That still is my favorite thing. Um, and I remember leaving that day going, yeah, this is what I want. And as, as you kind of got more and more into it uh, from just reading on your website and doing a bit of research, it, it, it wasn't just the actual acting part. It was, it was the, the writing piece, right? Yeah, well, that, that, uh, it's, it, that is actually the part I care about the most. Mm. Because... As an actor, you are a, kind of a cog in someone else's machine. But when you write a play, it's your, it's your life, you know, it's your voice. And I, uh, I, I really, that, that to me is so fulfilling because that's the place, the one place in my life where I get to say, this is what I think about the world, <laughs> you know, and really express myself. Uh, which also makes it really nerve-wracking because, like, people always say what's, what makes you more nervous, your play going up or you being in a play. It's my play going up because if if I'm, as an actor, I'm in a play that people don't like, it's not really my fault. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but if people go to a play that I wrote and they don't like it, they don't like me. <laughs> you yeah. know, that's what it feels like. It's sure. not the truth, but that's sure. what it feels like. Sure, sure. There's a lot more of an attachment, I would imagine, to, to the... Yeah. So the, the process of of putting a, a play together, writing it, is that something you just learn as you go? Did you do a lot of training for that, a mix of everything? Well, what really happened was, you know, I being in plays, you know, you kind of, I was reading a lot of plays. And then the writing, it's kind of a, you, you learn by doing, right? Like my first play that I ever wrote, if I read it now, I think I would, it would, it probably would be embarrassed by it. But at the time I thought it was really good, you know? Mm. Uh, but then you write a second play and you learn from that first play, but it's kind of a trial by fire sort of, uh, you know, experience. And uh, so that, that I guess the way I've never taken a class on how to write a play, but I, I've written a lot of plays. Right. So, and, and I hope they, they get better. <laughs> Do they normally take the same structure? Like, is there is there a, a set framework that you have to follow for a typical play, or, or is it very freeform? Well, most of my writing happens around midnight after a couple glasses of wine, and then <laughs> and then it's just like kind of babbling improvisation, just throwing spaghetti against the wall and hoping something happens. Uh, and I can usually write a first draft very quickly. I can like vomit out. 80 terrible pages. And then the actual writing is the year or two of fixing that, sort of trying to dig through that and figure out what I was trying to say. But I actually think the wine is important because I, I'm able to access sort of like uh, the pain or the, the sort of thing that I'm trying to wrestle with in my own life, you know? If that makes sense. No, no, it, it does. It definitely, it definitely does. I, uh, I kind of have similar stuff going on sometimes in my own mind to try and do if it's a project, if it's a writing piece, um, to just try and get it out. But getting it out is the easy part. It's, it's kind of making it 
it this was good enough like when does it become yeah. good, good enough for you because like there's the you know perfectionism versus good enough how does how does that struggle play out well it's usually other people who give you permission that it's ready right for me at least i am someone who i wish this wasn't true in me but i care very deeply about what other people think but so with writing what'll happen is i will write a first draft and then I'll kind of polish it a little bit. And then finally, I'll get to the point where I know I have to invite three or four friends to come over and read it, just to hear it. And then you'll hear it out loud. And then, uh, you know, one thing that I wish I had known earlier is how important who those friends are is. Because now I have like a very select group of friends whose feedback I trust mm. and who I want. Because early on, what would happen is I would invite everyone I knew. And then I actually ruined a lot of plays by putting in bad feedback into them. Does right. that make sense? Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, yeah, and so I, I I, now have this sort of, like, these four friends here in L.A. who I love, and I, I actually am in the middle of writing a new play right now, and I know that in, like, two weeks, I'll have them all over and we'll read my new play. Uh, and then they'll give me feedback, and then I'll keep writing, and until one of them goes, like, hey, we should put it on now. Okay. <laughs> uh, like it, 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 I, once one of them is like, so when are we doing this? Then I go, okay, the play's ready. Right. You know? Very cool. And, uh, going back to the fair piece though, I suppose when you're probably now you're used to it. And in the early stages, if you were putting that first draft together and you get people in the room, you know, how, how do you detach yourself from caring what people think from a point of view of not taking it personally to looking at it to try and make it better? I would give you a million dollars if you could help me not take it personally and not care. <laughs> I, I never am able to lose that. I, I, I will always care very deeply what people think of my work. <laughs> mm. uh, but your caring versus getting insulted by, by it is, is different, right? I would imagine. So it's, it's kind yes, of knowing yes. that you, they want to help you improve. And that's part of finding who these people are that you trust, right? right. Because what will happen is sometimes people who don't know how to give feedback will say something that will hurt you personally. But people who understand that we're just in the room to fix the play. Like I, I always jokingly say, but I, I really mean this. I love an argument in a rehearsal room if it's about the piece. I can yell with you for hours if what it's about is how to make the scene better, right? Or how to tell this how to make this joke funnier that i can argue about for hours it's when it becomes personal that that it's hard that then you do take it personally but for me when i invite these friends over and they give me feedback on my play i don't take it personally because i know they're trying to help me make the play better you know mm -hmm. yeah. yeah it makes it makes sense so you've obviously had a number of those plays in in new york you lived in new york for a while was that where you started to kind of get your first shows I suppose what's the the term on stage? Yeah, yeah, the, yeah. The produced, I guess, is but yeah. So it was in New York. Uh, yeah, when I was in New York, I took a class from a playwright, uh, David Barkat, when I first got there, and uh, he his his line was, "If you want to be a playwright, lock yourself in your apartment for a weekend, don't answer the phone." And don't leave until you've written the words end of play. <laughs> and he said that. And so that weekend I did just that. And I wrote my first, I'd written things, you know, in high school and stuff, but my first actual play. Uh, and it was a very pretentious play about Marlon Brando uh, <laughs> that was not very good, but it got a couple readings. And then, uh, and that made me feel excited that there were parts of the play that I thought were good and people liked. And so then I wrote another play uh, that was called The Redhead is Coming. That was a comedy about a couple that has a threesome. And that play got produced. That was my first play that was produced in New York. And uh, that was really exciting for me because uh, one of my dear friends was in it, uh, this guy Jorge Cordova, who's an amazing actor. And he was wonderful in the play. And um, people laughed. And that matters to me a lot. I like comedy a lot. And that felt good that I wrote something that made people laugh. Um, so yeah, that, that's that's where all that got started. 
Interesting. So th just even for somebody that's not aware of that kind of process, you put it together, you kind of pitch it. How do you pitch the play? Do you have to kind of get people in a room to do a reading or how does that all work? Yeah, so the life of a playwright is terrible. I don't recommend anyone do this, but <laughs> the way that plays happen is you write your play, you invite your friends over, and then hopefully because you've been involved in theater somehow, you know some people at some theaters. And so then you send your play and hope desperately that one of those people will read it. And then the first sort of thing that you have to pass is once people like it enough, they will give you what's called a reading, which is uh, actors behind music stands reading your play for an audience. Usually the audience does not pay for this. And that is sort of theaters testing out whether or not they want to do your play for real. Because a play, especially in New York, costs, you know, like $80,000 is a cheap off, 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 off Broadway production, right? So what you're asking someone is to give you about a hundred, a hundred and fifty thousand dollars to put on your play. <laughs> okay. And uh, so the leap from we will let you read it behind music stands for free to I will give you a hundred and fifty thousand dollars. That's the key, my friend. <laughs> uh, but you were able to do so that, that with your first play, though, or your second play, really. That that leap happened. For that second play, the redhead, uh, redhead is coming. It's coming, yeah. It, it, it did happen, but it was at a smaller. It was part of a festival. It was sort of like my first in was, you know, this was a theater that sat like thirty-five people in Brooklyn. You know, okay. Uh, where like my cast had to show up twenty minutes before the play, put up our four pretend set pieces because after our play finished, another play went up with a different set. You know, right. So. It was someone saying, yes, we'll do your play, but it was definitely like, you know, first tier, right? It was mm. like, we were not in, uh, all my all my analogies will be about soccer today, but we weren't in the Premier League yet, right? We were like in the championship, you know? Okay. Uh, yeah. Okay, very good. So, as you were doing that, and obviously booking gigs in acting uh, around, in parallel, right? So, so acting was probably, was paying the the bills and you're probably following more of the passion in, in the playwriting yes without a doubt it's funny because now at this point in my life acting is not my passion anymore I like it and I enjoy it but it's almost like how I pay my bills it's almost my day job yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, like I do a lot of commercials that's how I am able to uh, have a wife and a son and you know pay for things right. and and I could care less about that. Like I literally have no passion for commercials. And I and I actually think it's why I book them because this is a, a difficult thing for a brain to accept or for me to accept as an idealist, but I actually think that not caring makes me successful in that world. Because I go into those auditions and I don't care. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I I really I could care less. <laughs> what is the line? Ford, Ford is the best in Texas? Great. Okay, here it is. Like I just don't I don't care, and so I've had success in that world. <laughs> mm. uh, whereas in playwriting, I care so deeply. I mean, I, will, I won't sleep the night before a play opens. When I'm in the audience, I'm a neurotic mess. I'm in, I'm, you know, but for that, I make no money. I mean, there's no money in playwriting. Yeah. Nobody should go into playwriting to make money. Even the best playwrights, they make money writing for TV, <laughs> okay. you know? Uh, it's interesting yeah. though like obviously i'm not making any money doing podcasting it's it's my passion at the moment as well and my yeah. day job is is uh is what certainly pays for all all of this stuff but but your your point of doing the the commercials because you just don't care you're almost you're 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 obviously acting you're playing a role in doing that um and it's it's kind of totally detaching yourself from from the emotion, even though it's it's something you don't not just don't care about, don't believe in. Uh, it, it's just I, I don't know. There's something triggering in my mind there that I totally get, but 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 it it, it yeah. makes, makes total sense. And I think that's uh, it's disheartening that the world sometimes reacts to your not caring, right? Like to, for me, it is at least. I, my wife says I always speak for everyone. I, I'm going to speak for myself. For me, it's very disheartening uh, because you go, well, what's the point, mm. right? <laughs> no, yeah. And I think my point, yeah. my point there, and I was just coming back when you said it, though, was it's you're doing the commercials. 
you're parking your values or your principles because you know it's a means to an end and that's fine whereas there's no way you would write a a play about something you don't fully believe in and aligns to your values and you know i don't think you're going to write a a play for for tv like friends or something you know it has to be meaningful to you yeah yeah and that is you know it's a constant struggle for me because in this industry you do have to kind of put your morals aside a lot you know like last night i was at this event because a sketch that i wrote with a friend of mine uh was nominated for this award okay so i went to this like la thing and the only thing that matters about this is that i was in a room with what felt like pressure to be a part of hollywood does that make sense there's like people in suits and everybody's networking and everybody's throwing cards in each other's faces and i hate it i could not hate that more than i cannot explain to you how much i hate that <laughs> I, I get a sense, I, of, a good sense of it, though. Yeah, no, go on. <laughs> yeah. So, so I'm just like at this thing, and there is the part of me that is a new dad that goes like, hey, suck it up and go talk to that woman because that woman could hire you one day and at least say hi and get over yourself because you have to send your kid to college one day. <laughs> but then there's the part of me that goes, but what about my soul? And what am I going to do with that? if I keep having these fake conversations with people. <laughs> uh, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and I, I just go back and forth, and then eventually I'll have enough wine that I will talk to strangers and I don't care anymore. <laughs> yeah, I, I hear you. So so is, is authenticity not really valued in, in that world? Or does anyone give a shit? Do they just say, you know, <laughs> you have the right look and you have the, the right ability to express yourself? that's it or or, or or would people say you know what Bernardo's very authentic I, I, I think that's really a unique quality in this world and we've got we, you know he, he can bring some value well I think that authenticity is valued hmm. but I think there is a lot of pretending to be authentic <laughs> like I mean I, I now I'm going to sound so negative but like at this event last night everybody kept talking about diversity and inclusion and these are things that I care very deeply about. But last night, I stopped caring about it <laughs> because it felt like people were trying to authentically care about the thing that everybody cares about. And so it felt ridiculous. And I just kept laughing to myself because every time somebody went up on stage, they gave like a little political spiel. But it felt like, you know, and, and people were introduced as actor slash activist. <laughs> oh, and that made me laugh because I was like, what? And the truth is, this is this is about my own hypocrisy. I think I would consider myself an actor slash activist, but I would never introduce myself to anyone that way. <laughs> so my question to myself is, why does it make you so upset that someone else is at least owning that they are both those things? And I think for me, it's that there's feels something inauthentic about it. Um, you know, anyway, and now I'm just like blabbing at you, but, no. but this was like, I just, I just experienced this yesterday and I was just, my friend and I were laughing so much last night because everything was like, before we begin, let's think of the people of Mexico, you know, or whatever. And I obviously care about those things, but I'm like, in this context, in this theater with everyone in suits and the, it just feels not real. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah, no, it's it's funny. I yeah. the comparison I would have a little bit in the kind of corporate world and and uh you know, this whole in the last four or five years I've really got into meditation and it's been very beneficial oh, for me to kind of slow pace down and uh get to know myself better, right? And the whole kind of inward looking and emotional intelligence comes up in that but but in the same sort of way, a lot of organizations and a, a, the, the world at large is probably jumping on the meditation bandwagon a little bit because yeah. it's important yeah. to say, <laughs> you know, this is important and it's, it, but it's just a buzzword and it can be, um, it can be just used for potential financial gain. Cause you see, I see people talking about meditation and posting about it and I can, I get a sense that some of them are very genuine and others you just can see there's probably something behind it that yeah, question mark you know i'm not sure of so it's uh yeah. it's just it's interesting to, to kind of hear that 
And I understand the desire to want to be a part of something, right? Like that I get. I get why people do it because I do it too, I'm sure, in many ways. Like if you, when you're a kid and there's a, a kids on the playground and if they're all playing hide and go seek, you want to also play hide and go seek, right? You want to be a part of the thing that everybody's doing. And because of social media, everybody is posting political things about inclusion and things like that now. And so everybody wants to be involved. I get that. I, I think that's totally fine. Uh, I, <laughs> but it just drives me crazy. I just want to, you know, I'm just desperate for somebody to get up on stage and say something funny, you know? Yeah. Um, <laughs> or, or get and up there on, were people who did that. But even get up on stage and, and say, you know, you're probably, if you did it, you're probably kind of ruining your future career in, the, in that industry. But just yeah. say, hey, everybody in the room here, you're all being inauthentic or, or very something yeah. bl blasé about that. Yeah. But, um, yeah, it's uh, it's interesting. It's kind of a an interesting view into the into the world you're you're in there. Um, yeah. Yeah. Was there a point do you think in the last few years that 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 uh, that seesaw that that switch happened where you were seeing it almost from the third person a lot more than than just kind of going along with it and stepping away from? Yeah, I mean, I I I think over the last two or three years. There has been a ch uh, a change in me. I, I don't know what it is, but I just I am I I I tend to think existentially, and I just keep thinking to myself, "What's the point?" You know, and that seems to matter a great deal to me. I don't have an answer. I have no answer to what's the point, but I know it's the same thing that we were talking about when I walked into that acting class. I felt that there was a point in there <laughs> and it felt nice and it felt like home you know and i am now trying to only surround myself with moments that feel that way and so it's funny because i've started leaving things or uh kind of parting ways with things that i was involved in because i felt i had to be and now i'm starting to just i only want to hang out with people that i like <laughs> and that make me feel like there's a point whether that point is there or not, I'm interested in pursuing that feeling of uh, liking it and feeling good about myself and about the people that I'm spending time with. Does that make sense? Um, because in this town, there's a lot of pressure to hang out with the people that can get you somewhere. And I, it may be a detriment to my career, but I don't think I want to do that. <laughs> you know, uh, I think I want to work with successful, great, talented people but I want to work with them because I really like them, you know? Uh, it's like if Sasha Baron Cohen, who is one of my heroes, was walking right in front of me right now, I would get out and say something to him, but not because I want him to... It's because I genuinely like him, sure. Sure. <laughs> you know? And I'm interested in pursuing that feeling of hanging out with people that I... Anyway, I've repeated myself five times but yeah no 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 and you know look i do try i like the the random conversations it's important to yeah um, because it's normal but it, it is good to, to kind of extract some stuff from that and it's about being finding your own your own voice i suppose your own views of the world and and adhering and sticking to it you know it uh it yeah. makes makes total sense so what what's next on the on the on the radar for you and i di i didn't mention at the start right you've 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 played roles in in a lot of, um, a lot of TV shows, a lot of movies. You've had a good acting career so so far. Is there other? What, what's I suppose what's next on the horizon for you? What's next on your? Well, I, as an actor, the next thing on my plan is to keep booking things so that I can pay for my son and his wife. <laughs> uh, and I would love to be on a TV show. Not because it will fulfill me, but because I could really set up my life so that I could write all the time and hang out with my son all the time, <laughs> which is interesting. But that's where I'm at right now emotionally with that. So that's how I feel about that. Uh, and then on the horizon for my plays, uh, I, I wrote a play that was done here in Los Angeles called The Giant Void of My Soul. And that play did very, it did very well here. And I have a reading coming up in, in uh, December in New York of it which I'm very excited about because I really hope it happens there as well. Uh, and I'm, I'm writing two new plays. Uh, one, uh, which, and you know, so the next thing is to hope that those things happen. Mm. Um, so yeah. And just 
keep creating and auditioning and, you know, hoping hoping it, it happens. <laughs> yeah. You mentioned you're an idealist earlier on as well. I just picked up on that. What, what does that what does that mean? What, what does that mean for you? Well, it's funny. I guess I said that. Now I'm like wondering, am I actually an idealist? I was an idealist at one point. I mean, I tend to be a dreamer, <laughs> you know, and I have like, I think my tendency is to be optimistic, but the older I get, the harder it is to fully embrace that energy in myself. But I do at the end of the day, like a sweeping happy ending, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So I think, I guess that's, I don't, yeah, I don't know. Now I'm just thinking if I actually am still an idealist. But I, I was at one point, very strongly. <laughs> I'm asking, I'm trying to ask probing questions here. Um, yeah, no, it's fine, please. And what about, you know, I you know, get a sense that the world you're in can can beat you down a little bit and can be can be challenging to pick yourself back up no matter how many times it, it happens. What, what are your kind of approaches to, to bounce back? What What makes you resilient or how have you developed that? Well, the main thing is, your community, right? Your friends. I mean, uh, the number one thing that helps me bounce back is my wife. I, my wife is really amazing and she puts up with, uh, all the highs and lows of my career. And she is just a really great friend, you know, someone that I can talk to share my insecurities with share my sort of, you know, my wife is a film editor. She's a documentary film editor. And so she and I get to live through each other's successes and our failures and our almost, you know, and without her, I, I really mean this. I think I would probably gain about 150 pounds, move to Las Vegas and become a professional sports gambler. Like that's really, because I, I have that in me and I could really become that person, you know? Uh, so, so she's the main thing that helps me. And now my son, uh, not to get cliche, but you know, my son has really, given me uh such a wonderful thing to go home to <laughs> you know yeah. uh and it really puts things in perspective it's it's hard to not every day look at my son and realize how unimportant like even this event i was at last night when i was 25 i would have felt very proud and very i would have thought that it mattered a great deal sure. what happened last night <laughs> and i'm happy it happened and i'm proud and i'm excited for my friend but I mostly am like, okay, this is kind of silly. I can't wait to go hang out with my son. Because <laughs> mm. that's a really nice thing to have and to, you know, watch mm. a human being become a person. It's really kind of miraculous. Very cool. Yeah, we're we're expecting in January as well, so I'm looking forward to that experience. Oh, congratulations. <laughs> my yeah. son was born in January. Oh, oh wow. Okay. Yeah. Very good. Uh, well, good luck. You, it, it'll ruin your life, my friend. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I'm already trying to uh, streamline this production of, of podcasting so that I'd have less uh, less time to edit, I'd imagine. Um, just on that topic, you used to do podcasts yourself in, in New York, right? So that was yes. something. Uh-huh. Mm, how was I that experience it. for you? I loved it. The thing that happened, though, I, I made the mistake of making a podcast that was about a very specific thing. And I think that kind of limited my audience. So I did a podcast called Off and On, a New York theater podcast for about four years. Hmm. And I interviewed, the point I was interested in interviewing people, like in most podcasts, there's that moment where the person says, and then I made it. And that's, and so that's kind of the story. And I was interested in these people in New York who haven't quote unquote made it, but they continue being theater people. And what makes a person crazy enough to, be 50 and go to an audition, you know, and, uh, and it was great. And what happened was I started the podcast and then all of a sudden I had like 5,000 downloads, uh, an episode Whoa. very quickly. I was like, Whoa, Oh my God, people are listening to this. That's good. And then it just stayed there okay. for five years. <laughs> and what happened was at one point I just went, I've done this. I loved it, but I'm never going to make any money from it. And I and then I left New York and I thought, well, this is a good time to stop doing it. But I love doing it. I love sitting down and talking to people. And, you know, I understand your passion for it. I, I really I, I miss doing it. It's just hard to find the time to do it. It's so much work. It is. It's, it's, it's work. Like, again, I, I enjoy these conversations and talk to like, as I always say, I, I wouldn't be talking to you right now if I didn't have 
the podcast, right? So yeah, totally chances are we wouldn't unless we were playing for Ireland and Mexico in some sort of World Cup in the yeah. future. But and that's not yeah, going to happen yeah. either. But uh, no, but it, yeah. <laughs> it's great for connecting people and uh, to to get to know you know different viewpoints and and just yeah it's 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 a brilliant outlet and it's a great networking opportunity you know again as long as you're doing it for yeah. the right reasons a lot of the yeah. i did a there was international podcast day about a month ago and i did a presentation around things i've learned doing podcasting and from what i've yeah. talked to people that have gone in with their maybe eyes wide closed or, or eyes wide shut from the point of view thinking they're going to get millions of downloads and millions of followers within their first few yeah. episodes it doesn't work that way and if if, if yeah. it's if that's your uh your vision or mission for it chances are you'll probably do about five episodes and, and give up you know so you know it has to be you have to be clear on why you're doing it i think uh so yeah it makes yeah it makes it all worthwhile when you're chatting to different folks from all over the world it's really cool yeah and and what i like about it is it forces uh, you know, I like getting into deep conversations quickly with people mm. and in podcast land, it's like expected, you know, Yeah. whereas like at a bar, you have to like do one or two more, one or two hours of funny, you know, chit chat to get into the good stuff, you know? Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Yeah. very good i'm conscious of time and i know you probably have to get into the uh into the audition room soon enough i normally wrap up in, in a kind of a it's not very unique but i like it uh around recommendations of of books or even plays or anything from your world that you would recommend uh, a listener check out that that could help them improve in some way that has had an impact on you uh sure yeah uh well i uh I would recommend uh, if you, I don't know if it's in Netflix internationally, but uh, my wife did a documentary called Another World, which I recommend a lot. Okay. That is about the Occupy Wall Street movement. And I actually recommend it a lot for these political times and sort of like feeling disillusioned and stuff. But right. it's a really cool uh, story about these kids who took over a park in New York and they really wanted to change the world. And I think they did because mm. they may not have, brought down wall street but now everybody says the 99 percent and the one percent and they invented you know that's that oh. so i think that's pretty cool that they made us think about it so it's not to plug my wife i really think it's just a, a really cool movie uh, it's out there but i recommend people check that out yeah and then you know if you don't read plays or you're not a theater person read waiting for godot it's the best play ever written i love it <laughs> waiting for <laughs> that's sorry. my favorite play I just... waiting for godot godot yeah, Waiting for Godot. Uh, it's just, it's the best play ever written. It's Sam Beckett, Samuel Beckett. He's my favorite playwright. It's really great. Yeah. Brilliant. Two good ones there. I definitely will check out um, the the Another World, the documentary. I'm a big, we're big Netflix folks here. Uh, so we'll, we'll oh, dive, dive into that. Um, Bernardo, it was great chatting to you. Uh, it was, it definitely, yeah, same here. It definitely felt like a good conversation with somebody I had talked to before a few times. So that that always hopefully comes across when people listen, you know, and hear the uh, the journey you're on, not only right now in your vehicle, but uh, in in general. You know, there's kind of multiple journeys yeah. going on. Um, yeah, brilliant to chat. Best right. of luck with that, and you know, definitely stay in touch. We you know want to track your progress and keep me posted on how. Uh, how the play goes in um, the reading in, in New York. That'll be exciting. Great. Thank you so much. And thank you for being flexible uh, with me being in the car. <laughs> no, I think it, it adds a more authentic nature to the, to the, uh, to the sound quality anyway, I hope so. Very good. <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> okay. All thank right. you so much. Thanks Bernardo. Have a good one. Best of luck. Talk soon. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye-bye. So how did you find it? A good show? Hopefully. Do take a second or two to let me know. And before you do dive off, just a couple of quick call-outs. The new podcast, the 864, 15 minutes long, in fact, 864 seconds is the aspiration, is now out and ready for listening. Check it out on the site, go to the podcast page, there's a link for 864 there, or go on to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, that would be awesome. The 864 is all you have to search for. And it's in all other podcast platforms that you can think of or should be. So, have a listen. Every week I release a One Minute Monday video Lip, which is also a tip to hopefully make you 1% better. Check that out. It's on the website on the video page. Did you also know that only about 1% 
of listeners to podcasts not just my own but all leave a rating leave a review get in touch or give feedback and i would love if we could book that trend and put it to two percent for this one so please do take the time to give me a bit of feedback give me some ideas about future guests or whatever the hell comes into mind just get in touch or rate or review the podcast on apple that helps i'm available at all of the social platforms pretty much all at rob of the green that's either with or without the at sign but you'll find it under that moniker so hopefully i'll hear from you there last couple of quick ones support so i do offer some pro bono coaching get onto the website the support page to get in touch few hours a month happy to do that and if you would like to support the podcast that would be awesome you can do so through patreon and also through purchasing books through the book page on the website that goes through amazon and we get a little percentage i'm not even sure what but it's something and finally just to say thanks for taking the time to listen to the podcast i know there's lots of other shows out there it means a lot that you're checking this one out so have a great rest of day week month year whatever it may be and hopefully you're getting one percent better as a result of these shows take care and good luck